Okay. So I'm Randy and I'm alcoholic. Hi everybody. I'm so unbelievably blown away by the quality of people that are on this meeting today because I've gotten to know a lot of you over the months since we've been doing this uh, outside of the Wednesday meeting in London and uh, uh, just a beautiful, beautiful group of people that I get to hang out with whenever I get the opportunity to be here. And I'm blessed because of that. I want you to know that. Um, I'm alcoholic. My body's allergic to alcohol. I can never, ever drink alcohol successfully again. Is there anybody on this call today that has not been to one of these meetings, to a principles and application meeting before? Anybody? Okay. So, so you know I'm allergic to alcohol and that that's not the reason I'm here. And the one line that I would change in the big book, if I could change one word, I would change the word in how it works from remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, and powerful. I would change that to say, remember that we deal with alcoholism, cunning, baffling, and powerful. And I think that would be a huge turning point for AA and uh, uh, long-term sobriety, because I think it's very misleading to believe that alcohol is, alcohol is a medicine sits in a bottle. It is a plant-based medicine. It changes my consciousness. It does for me everything that I need it to do for me. It is a medicine, but it's a medicine. And I have a bunch of medicines in the cabinet. I'm not allergic to them. When I take them, they do what they're supposed to do. I have become allergic to alcohol because evidently my alcoholism was so strong and so powerful and kept me in so much pain that I needed to take a lot of medicine. And I took so much medicine over the years that I became allergic to it. So I'm allergic to alcohol. I can never ever drink it successfully again. I might drink it again. If the pain gets too intense and there isn't a gun close by, or a fast car or something else I can kill myself with, I will probably drink again if the pain gets that intense. But it doesn't ever have to get that intense again because there is a program of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. And it's for me, it's 12 steps as a way of life and a relationship with a higher power that comes out of the application of those 12 steps. I'm not making any of this up. Everything you just heard come out of my mouth came out of somebody else's mouth before me. And I was the beneficiary of hearing it and being in the right place at the right time. So alcoholism, real quick, uh, alcoholism, ego and self. So alcoholism is a disease that centers in my mind. It talks to me and it talks to me in my own voice. And because it talks to me in my own voice, I believe what it says most of the time. I believe that what it's saying is true. Partially because I'm constitutionally, as an alcoholic with alcoholism, I am, what the book says is that I am constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. So I lie to myself and I believe what I say because it sounds like it's myself. And right? Doesn't it make any sense? Does it make any sense at all that I would lie to myself <laughs> in my own voice from my own head with no outside coercion, no gun to my head? I would just lie to myself and then not even be aware that I'm doing that because I am constitutionally incapable of seeing it. And so I have this self-talking, unsatisfiable, fault-finding, opinionated mind. That is the alcoholism part of the alcoholism. I have opinions about everything. I don't know where I got those opinions, but I am willing to die for them, literally, some of them. And I can't even tell you why I have them. I'm fault finding. My mind, the first thing it does, left unchecked, is find fault with everyone and everything. And it's unsatisfiable. So even when I get exactly what I think I want, even when I get exactly what my mind tells me will be happiness, I don't want what I have when I get it. I want that and something else. 
and I'm constantly unsatisfiable. And so that's alcoholism for me. I Again, I say this a lot, but at the beginning of this study or group or whatever we're going to call this, uh, I hope you don't have what I have. I hope that alcohol for you is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and you figure out how to not drink anymore, and that your all of your troubles were alcohol. Not my experience. I got sober, and at, at two and a half years sober, I wanted to kill myself much more then than I ever did when I first got sober. When I first got sober, I wanted to live. When I dealt with the pain of living without any alcohol and very little application besides going to meetings and working 12 steps as a chore and trying to sponsor people, but nobody wanted what I had, so that was an impossibility, that I wanted to die from alcoholism at two and a half years of sobriety. So... That's my experience. I hope it's not yours. So that's alcoholism. Then uh, there's a guy named Tebow. He studied alcoholics. He was a drug and alcohol psychiatrist or psychologist. Uh, He was one of the first guys to get the manuscript to AA. He had a client. I think her name was Maddie. And Maddie couldn't get sober. I could be getting that wrong. Uh, He had a woman client. She couldn't get sober. He tried everything with her and had labeled her as a hopeless alcoholic. And he thought, I'll just give her this book. There's, she's, there's nothing to lose. And he let her read the, the manuscript before it was the book. And she got interested in AA and she went down to New York. And Marty Mann, thank you. She went down to New York and she got sober. And this was very intriguing to Tebow, so he decided to study us and Alcoholics Anonymous and why it works and how it works. And what what his observations were is that uh, we're very defiant, grandiose, childlike, immature. And then he went on to describe the the immature aspects of this alcoholic with alcoholism as always in a hurry and easily frustrated and believing that it's omnipotent. And he also talks about the inability to accept the word no. I can't accept no as an answer. For me, as in my experience, when I ask you to, to do something or to agree with my opinion about something, and you say no, what my mind says is that I obviously asked the question in the wrong way. And so I will start reformulating the question and reformulating it. And I will ask it again and again and again differently until I crush you into surrendering to saying yes to what I want or what I want you to believe. So I'm um, unsatisfiable mind fault-finding, opinionated mind that's always in a hurry, easily frustrated, and can't stand the word no. So for me, that's the way that I see my ego, my infantile ego. And these two things, alcoholism, this unsatisfiable mind energizes the ego because it's unsatisfied when it gets, even when it gets what it wants. Now it's unsatisfied. And the little infantile ego that's not satisfied now is complaining and energizing the ego and energizing the alcoholism. And those two are going at it and making me sicker and sicker and sicker. And, and then coupled with those two things, this alcoholism and this ego is self. And the self is this, the self is the Randy Earthride character that has learned all of these things on my journey through earth. So Randy has a story about parents. It's my story about my parents, but I transfer it to all parents. And I have a a story about authority, and I have a story about teachers, and I have a story about money, and I have a story about business. And all of it is based on my perception of what happened to me as I've been on this journey through life, drunk or sober.
So the self is the story that I believe to be true about who you are and who the world is and how everything works. And that story energizes my character defects. That story is where all of my delusions are in that story. All of the lies that I tell myself that I believe are true are built in that character named Randy. That is a product of my perception of what happened on this journey of life. None of it is true. It's only true to the extent that I could be constitutionally capable of being honest with myself. And, and the book tells me that as an alcoholic with alcoholism, coming into this program with no steps and no way of life, that I am constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. So my story is all built on falsehoods, on untruths. And I have a younger brother, and I often tell this story, but when he describes his parents, I do not know who he's talking about. He had kind and loving and supportive parents that would do anything for him and that were the greatest people on the planet. I grew up in the same house. I had selfish, self-centered, judgmental, egomaniacal, money-hungry parents that made it their life's work to make me feel bad about myself. <laughs> we grew up in the same house. How is that possible? How is that possible? One of us is delusional. Now, in looking back, I do see that I was a no to everything. I don't know why, but my whole life I was a no to everything. Even if I wanted to do it, if, the, if, the, if my parents said, we're going to the beach today, I didn't want to go to the beach, even if I love surfing. If my parents said we were going snow skiing on a vacation, I wanted to go to the beach. Anything they said, I wanted the opposite. And that's my character. And I see that in my life. Whatever's happening in my life, I have an argument with it. And I'm a no. No, I don't want this. I want something else. Now, I'm describing the disease. Today, I have a beautiful life. I love my life. I love my life. Today, I wake up and I say, show me, God. What do you have in store for me today? Whatever it is, COVID, no COVID, health, sickness, work, no work, whatever it is. Just help me to be the man that you want me to be to walk through whatever this is that we're walking through today. But I still have the disease of alcoholism. And if I don't get up in the morning and I don't read some spiritual material and I don't remember that I have the disease of alcoholism, I slowly slip back into that unsatisfiable, fault-finding, opinionated mind. And it's only a matter of time until someone steps on my toes and I scream and I yell and I want things the way I want them. And I re don't realize that I have slipped back into old character. So this is what I bring to step one. So now when I do step one, yes, the first half of step one is I am powerless over alcohol. I can never ever drink alcohol successfully again. The reason I'm powerless over alcohol is because I have a disease. Uh, the, the reason I'm powerless over alcohol is because I have an allergy to it. If I drink alcohol, I become powerless over the way it's going to affect me. I black out. I do crazy things. I can't stop. Once I start, I just want more. I crave it. And I will do anything to get it. And I never want to stop. I will not stop until stopping is the only way to move forward. So I'm powerless over 
drinking it or not drinking it. And the reason that I'm powerless over not drinking it is because of alcoholism, not because of alcohol. If I do not take the alcohol, I do not have the allergic reaction, period. End of story. Alcohol has no power over me if I do not drink it. But alcoholism tells me that, that this life is so painful that it would be better to drink than to experience the pain that you're going through right now. It doesn't tell it to me like that. It says, what's the use? You're a loser. You might as well drink. If you're going to feel this bad, you might as well drink. And I believe what it says because it's talking to me in my own voice and it sounds like a pretty good idea at the time, even with all of the knowledge that I have of how terrible it's going to be. <laughs> even with all of that experience, I still think, yes, yes, okay, anything to kill this pain, anything. Until you, I have had some experience now of walking through some pain and that the pain is just a, it's mostly just a boogeyman. There's really nothing there. The pain is my story about how terrible it is that I'm not getting what it is that I want that I think would make me happy or that I've lost something that I think is the thing that I need in order to be happy for the rest of my life. The second half of the first step says that my life has become unmanageable. My, the life that's become unmanageable is my thought life, my inner life, my inner life. My outside life, sober, is much more manageable than it was not sober. I can drive my car, I can take a shower, I can wash my car, I can do all these things. But while I'm doing those things, my mind is talking to me. And it's telling me what's wrong with my car and my shower and my shoes and how people are driving. And that self-talking mind is what makes me crazy. Driving is easy. If I didn't talk to myself while I drove, it's very easy to put your hands on the steering wheel, put the car in forward and step on the gas and step on the brake. It's relatively simple. It shouldn't be so painful. If you don't crash into anything, there's nothing painful about driving. Monique calling from Commvault. How you doing? <laughs> um, so, so uh, my thought life is what's unmanageable. My inner life, what goes on inside of me. And then if you look at the, the 12, I mean, the first step, my favorite part of the first step is in, is in uh, 60 to 63. And if we're going to do this, I would encourage everybody on this meeting right now, if you're not already doing it, to first thing in the morning when you first wake up, first thing, uh, maybe go to the bathroom first if, you, if that's the first thing. But the second thing is to read pages 60 to 63 and read it in the eye. And change all the we's and the they's and the them's and the us's to I. So the way that I read it is. Sorry. Okay. Being convinced that I am at step three, which is that I decided to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. Just what do I mean by that? And just what do I do? And then it's, it goes back to step one and it says, the first requirement is that I be convinced that my life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Now, I need to be convinced of that. Uh, the life, if, if, if I am not convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success, I will be running my life by self-will. And life will convince me over and over and over again that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. I will continually pick the wrong friends and the wrong helpers and end up in the wrong jobs with the wrong bosses, getting paid the wrong amount of money, living in the wrong apartment, and on and on and on. 
On that basis, I'm always in collision with something or somebody, even when my motives are good. How crazy is that? Even when the idea is good, I want to make some extra money for my family. I'm going to take this new job. Even when my motives are good, I'm going to end up in collision with something or somebody. If I'm running my life on self-will. If I'm asking self, should I take this job or not take this job? Should I marry this person or not marry this person? <laughs> should I do this work or not do this work? Should I buy some stuff on the internet right now or should I be working? Most people try to live by self-proportion. That's my out as an alcoholic with alcoholism. Well, most people do this. Isn't this the way everybody lives? And it probably is. Most people live by self-propulsion. But I have alcoholism. And for me to drink is to die. And if I don't do something different, I'm going to be in emotional pain. And so it's none of my business what anybody else does. Even all of you on this call, on this Zoom meeting. It's none of my business what you do. I have to do this for my life in order to be able to be the man that I believe that my higher power would have me be. I'm like an actor who wants to run the whole show. I have to look at my life. I, am I like the actor? I have to ask myself, am I like the actor? Am I running the whole show? Or even the parts that I'm not running, am I allowing others to run that? And then aren't I inadvertently the one who's allowing them to run it? So by default, I am running that also. I'm just running it through them. <laughs> I run every single aspect of my life when I'm in alcoholism. Everything. I am the actor. I am the one that's arranging everything. And, and when, so what I was shown for this part is I just change it to my name. Randy is like the actor who wants to run the whole show. Randy is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in Randy's own way. If Randy's arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as Randy wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including Randy, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, Randy may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, Randy may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, Randy is more likely to have varied traits. So I used to think that when I was being considerate and patient and generous and modest and self-sacrificing. I used to think that that was me in a relationship with my higher power because those are mm, God-like qualities and that, that I must be with my higher power when I'm being kind and patient. And, uh, but I've found that that's not true. Randy, the alcoholic with alcoholism, is very capable of using sacrifice and patience and generosity as a whip to get you to do what I want you to do. And if kindness, and I'd much rather show you kindness and patience and generosity and, 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 and self-sacrifice, I'd much rather get you to do it that way than to be an ass, to be mean and egotistical and pushing and shoving and, and a terrible person. But if that's what it's going to take, I'll do that too. Because in the end, I'm going to get what I want. And so there is no higher power in either one of those techniques if the higher power hasn't been invited in to be part of this show, to be the director. And I have to see that just because I'm being kind and generous and patient and self-sacrificing does not mean that it is not self and that that is not self's way of trying to get what it wants. Just as much as being mean and egotistical and selfish and dishonest is self's way of getting what it wants.
And then, you know, it, a lot of you have read this. It goes on to say what usually happens. My show doesn't come off very well. Then I'm hurt. And so I try harder to get you to do what I want because I'm sure I'm still positive that everything will work out if you'll just do if 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 it'll just go the way I think it should go, it'll work out. But even if it does go exactly the way I want it to go, I'm not satisfied. Admitting I may be somewhat at fault, I'm sure that you're more to blame, you being everybody else. And then it asks this question, what is my basic trouble? This is in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe that the answer to that question, in if it's alcohol, it should be that I drink too much alcohol and I do stupid things. That's what my basic trouble should be. But it doesn't say that. It says, aren't I really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Everything that I do is to please self. There are no people pleasers in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't care who you are and I don't care how nice you are and I don't care how much people take advantage of you. That is not a people pleaser. A people pleaser is a person who does things for others and gets joy out of doing that. That's a people pleaser. A traitor is a person who does something for somebody else, expecting something in return. Alcoholics are traitors. I will trade with you. I will let you eat whatever's in my refrigerator because you're living in my house and you don't have a lot of money. But you better tell everybody in the world how great I am and you better clean up my mess and yours and you better be the best, most obedient person to live with that ever walked the planet. Or I'm going to feel like a people pleaser because all I do is buy food for my roommates and all they do is walk all over me. But what I'm really trying to do is buy your friendship or buy your niceness or buy you to be my, my housekeeper. I don't tell you that. If I was honest, I would put that on the refrigerator. There's food in this refrigerator. Anyone who wants to eat it is welcome to eat it, but be prepared to pay a very high price for every bite that you eat. Because you will be held accountable for cleaning, nice talk, praise, and anything else I ask of you in the future at any time. And then I would expect a signature there. <laughs> As an alcoholic with alcoholism, I have a, a lot of rules. I have a list of rules about how the, how the planet works how you're supposed to be, how wives are supposed to be, daughters are supposed to be, co-workers are supposed to be. I have a list of rules for every, every position. They're not posted anywhere. And I expect you to understand the rules and know how to act and know how to be around me. But I have never showed you the rules. But if you break any one of those rules, even slightly, I will cut you out of my life. Completely. Now, I might be married to you, and have to live in the same house as you, but emotionally to me you are dead because you broke one of the rules. You don't know what rule it is, that doesn't matter because you should be smart enough to know all the rules. That's the way that I act. And that's why it's so challenging for me to have a relationship with another person in the world, any other person because nobody knows what the rules are, because my rules are so unbelievably re restrictive and ridiculous that if I did put them on paper, I wouldn't have a wife. If I did prenups with my wife and told her what was expected of her, as the clothes fall from my body onto the floor, I expect them into the, I expect them to magically reappear in my closets and in my drawers, folded and cleaned and lovingly taken care of. That would have been in my prenups because that's the way I act. As I eat food in the refrigerator, whatever I want, whether it's yours or anybody else's who brought it into the house, I expect you to lovingly look at me and thank me for eating your food, making a mess and allowing you to clean it up for me. Sounds ridiculous, but that is the way that I live as an alcoholic with alcoholism.
So in the fourth step, it says, uh, uh, I have been especially stupid and stubborn when it comes to family and friends. This I have to see. I'm going to have to see who I am. And I'm going to have to know what the disease is and how it manifests in my life if I'm going to have a treatment for it. I'm going to have to see how my unmanageable mind, my thought life pops up and these thoughts pop up and these rules pop up. And I don't even know where they came from. I don't know where I got them. I don't know where these ideas were born, but they're there. And they run me and they make me desperately unhappy. And they cause me to need to kill my emotional pain. So that's a lot of talking. And uh, I want to open the meeting up a little bit. I didn't even really touch on anything in the 12 and 12 on step one. I, I didn't talk about admitting complete defeat or or my devastating, I did talk a lot about my devastating weakness. My devastating weakness is my mind. It's what I've just described. It's not alcohol. And all of its consequences are that I can't have a true partnership, a true relationship with another human being. So we're going to open the meeting now up for some sharing or questions, whatever you guys want to do. Oh, I'm going to leave it recording. So uh, if you'd like to share... You can raise your hand. If you'd like to ask a question, you can raise your hand or you can chat it in if you'd like. So, Paul, I'm going to unmute you. Paul S. in L.A. Paul S. Alcoholic. Brandy, great talk. I actually was going to ask you to if you would share about the principle of complete defeat further because that was my question before you mentioned it. So I'm going to stick with that question. Can you talk about the how critical admitting complete defeat in step one is? Thank you. Okay. Okay, uh, so the first line in the 12 and 12 in step one says, who cares to admit complete defeat? And this book is about me, and I have to turn all of this into I, so I have to ask myself, do I care to admit complete defeat? Complete defeat is complete. It's not alcohol defeat. It's not work defeat. It's not relationship defeats. It's complete. And what it's, what it's talking about is, that I'm a complete defeat at being okay in this moment because of alcoholism, ego, and self. Because of the way those things talk to me, I'm a complete defeat at being okay in this moment on my own power. Self cannot reveal self to self. That's something you hear around prime time. That's something uh, I'm not sure who came up with it. It might have been Bob Anderson. Self cannot reveal self to self. I cannot see who I am while I'm being me. Now, after step six, I'm able to pull the camera back and I'm able to see self. And I'm able to see who I am. And I'm able to, with the humility of doing the first six steps, I'm able to see self with, with this higher power and then ask for, for some help and some guidance and, and a new direction. But I can't see me and I'm a complete defeat at being okay in this moment on my power. And that, that is, the other way of saying that is I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to be a father. I don't know how to drive. I think I, I think I know how to drive. I don't know how to be a good driver. I don't know how to be a safe and a courteous driver. Could you help me? And I'm going to have to ask for help. But step one, there's no help. Step one is where the surrender happens. Donna, would you like to share? Oh, I just muted you again. That's okay. Hey, hi, hi Randy. Um, and everyone, I'm Donna. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I'm Donna. in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, I just want to say thank you. First of all, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The things you said in layman terms for me um i was able to just really understand and um and and take what you say and and it's helping me develop a new character i'm, I'm getting such a better understanding but something that jumped out to me today that you said and i'm so thankful that i i got on this meeting to hear this was um i know i have a self-talking mind you know i've, I've heard that i agree with it but i never um, you said my alcoholism talks to me in my own voice, 
So I found that I listened to it not knowing that it's the alcoholism. That never dawned on me that um, just because when I'm listening to myself, you know, I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, that must be okay. I know I have a self, I don't know. I can't even under, I can't even explain it, but it did something. It helped me so much in my mind when I heard you say that. And so I just want to say I can take that and that's going to help me build my new character. Mm. Thank you so much. Thanks, Donna. Welcome. Paul. And why? Hi, I'm Paul. I have alcoholism. Hi, Thank Paul. you, Randy. Um, I didn't know what format this meeting was going to take, but I, I love the way it evolved and what you had to say. Thank you very much. Um, I have my list of rules that I expect people to live by. I realized that through many years of my marriage, um, that's the way I operated. I expected my wife to abide by these rules that were unpublished. And they, in my mind, I'll just go one step further and say they didn't have to be published because they should be obvious to anybody, right? Because I know better and that's the way things should be. And that's what ego, self, and alcoholism combined to think that I know better and that I know better thing translates not just to this list of rules but to anything why don't why I wouldn't come to AA because what can they tell me that I don't even know I could stop drinking if I want to I, I've done it before um, those type of things that I call intellectual arrogance for lack of a better word um, really have to surrender that I mean it just has to go the the you know, I'm not, I'm not this body and I'm not this mind. I'm something, something much finer than that. And to get hung up on those things. But that, this mind is what I resort to when the going gets tough. You know, if I have a problem like the other day, I have to think, what do I do? I'm going to pick my way out of this. I have to come up with an answer. Um, luckily, at best, I can pick up the phone and call somebody and ask outside of my system what to do. But uh, this idea of that, you know, I know better is is a killer, and uh, so you know, I, I really just have to be on the lookout for it. So, thanks for mentioning that, and thanks for listening. Thanks, Paul. Rick L. Rick. Hi, Randy. Are you there? Yes. Hello. Oh, good. I got a video. Thank you so much. Loved the share was literally laughing out loud uh, quite a few times because I can relate, obviously. Um, I love about step one, you know, telling me that the reason I have to do all that is to stay alive in order for Rick to stay alive. And uh, the crushing defeat turns out to be something so wonderful. It's always been a me on <laughs> a firm bedrock. I uh, I dare anyone, by the way, to take practice of noticing good drivers. There's quite a lot. There's a whole bunch. It's hard to do. <laughs> anyway, this program has been such a blessing. I don't need to figure anything out. I just need to accept. I used to, you know, I'll share something personal. I can't tell you how many times my mind has told me people on this meeting don't like you, Rick. I'm sure of it. And how many times I have, and God, wished that away as a silly notion only to have it return again so I suffer so I suffer from alcoholism daily and thank God there is a daily reprieve thanks and thanks for your share Randy thanks Rick uh, Tony yeah, I'm Tony. I'm an alcoholic. Tony. Thank you, Randy, for your lead. My question just goes for as far as I'm just curious what you 
have your sponsees do for step one. I've had a bunch of different sponsors. They all interpret it differently. Some just ask me if I've admitted a complete defeat. Other people say, you know, do you diagnose yourself as an alcoholic and has your life been unmanageable? Okay, great. It has? Okay, great. Moving on. Other people have me write down on a piece of paper all the ways that my life is unmanageable. And then that, and then I read that to them and then we kind of talk about it. Other people have just had me read step up to step one in the big book and read step one in the 12 and 12 and then ask them, you know, any questions I have about it. And then we move forward. So I'm just kind of curious what you, uh, how you, how you work it. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. That's a great question. And, uh, uh, what, what I do first with the person is I read surrender versus compliance out of Tebow. That's a Tebow paper. And I think that the Monday group was reading Tebow until I hijacked the meeting. Uh, surrender versus compliance is the first one that really speaks to me anyway. And we've had talks about surrender versus compliance. Compliance is the enemy of surrender. Compliance is doing the right thing, even though I don't want to. So getting sober because it'll keep my family together or going to a meeting because my sponsor told me to. It's always good to go to a meeting. Meetings are great. Do not not go to meetings. But going to a meeting does not heal alcoholism. If I go to the meeting talking to myself about what a, a, a pain in the butt my sponsor is and then sitting in the seat during the meeting and judging the speaker the whole time and talking to myself because the only way that the meeting works the way that meetings work is what it says in step two in the 12 and 12 is that every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore me to sanity if I rightly relate myself to it. Not if I hear a good speaker or if I sit in a meeting, but if I'm reminded to share my life with my higher power, then I might be able to be restored to sanity. But uh, compliance is when I do the right thing half-heartedly. And admitting complete defeat, I don't, there's, what I tell someone to do is I say, just do that today. For the rest of the day, just admit complete defeat about everything that you're doing. So right now, you're sitting there and you're maybe trying to listen to what's being said right now. And your mind is probably trying to talk to you louder than me and drag you away on vacation to go count your money, to go, maybe you're just talking about how much I've been talking and why aren't you talking or whatever your mind wants to talk to you about, but I'm, I'm a complete defeat at listening. So I have to ask my higher power to help me listen, but I encourage you to, to try to be a complete defeat. And at the end of the day, what you'll be, what, what will you'll become aware of is that you're a complete defeat even at being a complete defeat. You can't admit complete defeatedness. You can't live it as a way of life. You can't do it. It's impossible. And in that admission of complete defeatedness is the complete defeat. It's, it's kind of like the idea that this, the most important thing I've learned in AA all these years, I think, this is the, this is the whole thing right here. The more I love my life exactly the way it is right now, with no argument, the better my life is in every aspect of my life. Now, write it down. Tattoo it on the back of your hand. Put it on posties and stick it all over your life. Try not to have an argument with anything in your life. You can't do it until you get crushed into it somehow or you become willing enough to do anything that will lift this merciless obsession which is now turning to a higher power and asking to be restored to sanity in the moment but a lot of that is step two but the idea of if you could just accept if i not you i don't know what you can do but in the moments where i accept my life being exactly perfect, exactly the way it is right now, with COVID, without COVID. I don't know if I have it. I think I might, but I tested negative. But my mind wants to tell me that I do, and then it wants to tell me that I'm dead in five days or seven days or 10 days or I'm going to be on a respirator, and that's what it wants to do. Now, I am, I am completely healthy right now, and my mind wants to kill me right now. It wants to kill me of COVID. 
That's all it wants to talk about is me being dead. That's crazy. I have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful life and I get to have this experience right here, right now. No pain, none. Nothing's hurting me. Why can't I admit complete? I'm a complete defeat at being okay in this moment. Unless I invite God in and ask my higher power to help me to be okay right now. Oh, geez, we're gonna, we have one minute left. Uh, Desi. Thanks, Randy. Um, I'll try to make this fast in a minute. Um, it's been a good meeting. Um, uh, and I loved what you said. I'm a complete defeat about listening because uh, I was contemplating, like, I don't want to share, but then I kept getting the pull anyways. And so uh, when I started practicing, when my sponsor explained uh, alcoholism, ego, and self to me, and then I started, like, practicing step one, uh, what he had me do was he had me write down all of my repetitive thoughts. Every single day, so at night, I would write down all of my repetitive thoughts. And then when we met, I would share my thoughts with him. And about a month after we had been doing this, uh, I went on a blind date with a guy. And uh, the first day I was talking uh, to my sponsor before I went, he's like, just make sure you bring God with you. And uh, that first date was like the most magical date that I ever went on. And then the second date, I brought Desi with me and I listened to my mind and the the guy that I was on the date with, he asked, we were at a comedy show and he went to touch the small of my back and he asked, he goes, oh, is it okay if I touch the small of your back? And my mind goes, excuse my French, but my mind goes, he must have a small penis um, because who's, who, what kind of man asks to touch you, right? And then we go on a walk underneath the moonlight and I'm like, he's 6'2", I'm 5'2". I'm like, it's just not going to work. And my mind just kept talking and kept talking and kept talking. And um, our next date, we went um, rafting down a river and he left me stuck in rapids. And I'm like, Desi, he's not even a freaking man. He watches sports. He leaves you in the middle of the river. I mean, my mind. And so I go back to my sponsor and um, and I'm like, okay, I need to break up with this dude, right? Like, I'm done. He's like, who is doing the talking? And I'm, you know, and we go through this whole thing. And so I go on our fourth date and I'm ready to break up with him. I'm like, dude, I'm an alcoholic. I can't hang out with you. And, uh, and he's just like, so what? The point is, is I was watching my mind and watching my mind and watching my mind. And this is a little bit of step two. But what I eventually did was I started saying, God, could you help me see what a real man is? Because I have no idea what a real man looks like. I think just because he watches sports or he's not very outdoorsy that he's not a real man. And, uh, and I'll tell you, four years later, he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Nice. So, um, you know, uh, just an example of step one in application. There you go. Nice. That was awesome, Desi. Um, there's one more person. I'm going to let her speak for a minute. Anya, and then we'll... Uh, oh, we're unmuting and muting each other, I think. Let me unmute you. Okay, I can unmute you. You're muted yourself. There you go. Hi, I'm Anya. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Anya. Um, 27 days back. Uh, Thank you very much for the meeting and the format. And when you were talking, um, I, 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 a lot of it resonated with me. And I think from the meditation point of view, sort of expanding consciousness around um, my story is really microscopic. And when, I, when I'm able to zoom out of it, it's not as real and I'm not caught in it. And this whole, the, the thought process and my pain is around the lacking. And, I, and when you said that I need this to be happy, you know, that's my self-critical voice saying, if I had drive, if I had passion, if I had that, then I would be better. And even in my recovery, and putting together a routine and doing all of that stuff, which has been amazing, it's still not, it's not enough because it, it, it's, and anyway, my question is a little bit around um, this problem because I, I feel like I'm kind of looking for a blank slate constantly. I'm really trying to undo my stories, undo my perceptions, to, basically tune in to sort of a wider 
higher power and the idea of change and not be locked into this. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't know if that is sort of the opposite of just accepting because accepting where I am right now, which is I, it's okay for me to be quiet and shy. I don't have to be the other person to be happy. So, um, I, I don't know if this kind of wanting to completely lose every conditioning that I have is just another way of, you know, self-defeating or, or escapism. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Anya, and welcome to the group, and welcome back to sobriety, and that's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm not going to speak to that right now. I'll share with about that tomorrow, if you'll remind me. Um, a lot of that is the step two part, and uh, uh, yeah, a lot of that is step two. Because the higher power restores me to sanity. I do not restore me to sanity. And the question that you're asking is, how do I restore me to sanity? What do I think and, and how do I think to be, to be sane? And we don't do it. We do not restore ourselves to sanity. So come back tomorrow. Step two, we'll, we'll hammer on that about how to be restored to sanity. In the meantime, today, right now, try to admit complete defeat in everything that you do for the rest of the day today. And, uh, and then tomorrow we'll talk about uh, complete defeat and, and, uh, and being restored to sanity. All right, I appreciate you all so much. It goes so fast, like this format goes so fast. But the most important part is still the 20 minutes of meditation. So the rest is all blah, blah, blah. I appreciate you so much. Uh, I'm going to unmute everybody and we'll do a a crazed, uh, out of control serenity prayer all together. Okay, so God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to cherish the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Randy. Great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. I need a nap. <laughs> <laughs> I need Randy, a quick question. Uh, on Tuesday, I've got another commitment. Are you recording and putting it up straight away? Because I'd love to listen to it before Wednesday. Yeah, I'm going to talk to Annie right now. We're going to get it up. I can put it on my. Uh, I can put it on my Dropbox. Oh, let me stop it.